That's it. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Snack Break Podcast. I'm your host, John Schaefer. And on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. My guest today is currently a physical therapist working in the outpatient orthopedic setting in Los Angeles. She graduated from the University of Southern California last May and is currently undergoing orthopedic residency training out in California. She's originally from Guangzhou, China. How do I do on the pronunciation? Good. Hopefully, okay. Um, and she came to the States to pursue further education. Outside of school, she enjoys going to concerts, music festivals, working out, eating good food. She also loves to drink a fancy cocktail. Um, and she's currently on a mission to serve the raving, shuffling, and electronic music community. She is Joyce I. Joyce, uh, welcome. Thank How you. Thanks you? for having me. I'm yeah. good. Thanks for coming on. Of so I, yeah, so I first met Joyce probably two or three weeks ago. We we're both kind of exploring the idea of getting into different niche areas of practice within physical therapy. And I didn't realize she was actually in residency training too. So I, feel, I felt like we had a lot of in common. I reached out and that's kind of what brings us to today. So tell me a little bit about how you first got into physical therapy and maybe like what physical therapy is like in China compared to the U.S. Yeah, you got that's exposed. A- that's yeah, that's a really good question. So in undergrad, I think how I first got kind of into the idea of physical therapy is that I've always been a pretty active person. I've always enjoyed working out, always wanted to look good. Um, and then I took this human anatomy course in undergrad. And um, I specifically took the anatomy lab, the dissection lab. And then so I got to dissect like my freshman year of college, got to dissect cadavers. And I just thought it was so cool. Like I just fell in love with the human body I just thought it was so cool how there's so many different structures how if you like pull on one tendon it like moves the joints and moves the muscle it moves Mm -hmm. like the body it was just super cool and then so I looked into careers that evolved around the human body and then physical therapy kind of just became the natural path Mm -hmm. um so at that time, I would go back during the summer back to China for breaks. And then so that's how I got um, a taste of what physical therapy is like in China. And I kind of got to see the difference. But in China, it's definitely way less uh, advanced in what we do here in the States. So the common theme in China is still like after surgery or after you get injured, you just rest. And then there's not really any idea of how to like return to your sport or return to whatever activity you were doing before. So that's something that eventually I also want to work on in my career is kind of bridging the gap between the physical therapy industry uh, in China and America. Okay, very interesting. So is physical therapy something that's used more often like later after surgery? So is there a bigger gap between um, like surgery and rehab, or are they just not getting physical therapy post-op as much as like for chronic issues? Yeah, I think I think for physical therapy in China, it's mostly like post-op or mostly just for older people. But like the physical therapy that they do there is still outdated in the sense that it's mostly passive. It's all like modalities and traction mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but they really don't have a lot of emphasis on exercise and now this is the last time I was back in China doing an internship was around five years ago so a lot could have changed Mm because I know even USC they do a lot of education and stuff in China so that could have changed my information could be outdated but 
from what I remember, there's still a lot of work to do for sure. And people yeah, okay. just generally don't have that concept of exercising as much as in America and like the Western countries. Uh, very interesting. I feel like we're still lagging a little bit in exercise in Western countries too, but I can mm-hmm. see what you're saying there. Um, so then in terms of like PT schools, PT programs, what does what does that look like in China? Is it the same kind of setup, or how did you, why did you decide to come to the states for um, your post secondary education? Yeah, so I mean, for um, I think my my parents always knew that they wanted to send me overseas for college um, because it's just it's just like a different structure. Um, it's actually pretty reversed how the education is uh, in China and in America. So, for example, from like grade one to grade 12, it's so intense. Like you're in school all the time. Like it's all you do, you just study, study, study. And then just take exams after exams. It's so intense. But then once you get into college, once you pass the, basically like the standardized assessment, like the SATs and you get in a good college, it's so easy to graduate. Whereas in America, it's obviously different. And so I think my parents really, you know, they just, they just pushed me hard. They're like, you're going to stay in China from grade one to grade 12. You're going to work your ass off. And now you're going to come to America and keep working your ass off. So that's kind of what happened. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, that's how I, that's how I ended up in America. Um, just wanted to be, I, I think they just wanted me to have a good future. And I think they made the right choice. Awesome. That sounds very, very intense. <laughs> um, <laughs> So then is that kind of what pushed you to continue on with residency training? Obviously, residency training is something that's still fairly new within the field of PT. Um, I know that when I was in PT school, I got some exposure, but most of um, most of my knowledge about residency training kind of just came from my own research and reaching out to different people. It wasn't necessarily pushed very aggressively. Yeah, well, the, I think the reason why I want to do residency, I think, first of all, is that USC itself, they really push for you to do residency because our school does offer one. Um, So that was a big part of it. Most of my mentors who I highly respect, who are so smart, so intelligent, they all have gone through residency training. So it just seems like a natural step for me. Um, And the other part is, I think, I think you can, you probably would relate to this too, is that the more the more you know, or the more you learn about something, the more you realize what you don't know. So that's kind of how it went for me. It's like, yeah, you're in school for three years, but by year three, you're still, you've learned a lot. You definitely realize looking back, you you know so much more, you know, you're going to be able to help people. But then the more you dive into it, you're like, there's actually so much more I don't know. So a part of it is the motivation is definitely the imposter syndrome a little bit. You're like, I just want to you know, keep getting better so that I can help my patients. So that's a big part of it, of why I pursued residency. Um, I also just feel like, you know, I, I feel like if there's more education out there to be done, then I should be doing it or else I would can be doing my patients and clients a disservice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that one of the things that I realized after the first maybe month or two is just how many gaps I had in my practice and how many different things I wasn't even considering. I mean, you come out of PT school um, and you've obviously, you've seen a lot of information, you've learned a lot of information, some of it's stuck, maybe some of it hasn't. Um, But once you get into residency training, it's kind of like you're, you know, you're learning the stuff as you go, but you're also in clinic a good amount of time. So whatever you're learning, you can actually carry over and practice in clinic, which is cool. And I think that, Um, One of the biggest things for me was just like the mentorship component. You touched on 
killing imposter syndrome or, you know, trying to reduce it a little bit. And I think one of the things that I've realized over the last maybe, uh, I think I've been in the program for four or five months now, but just how little I believed in myself, even during like clinical rotations and studying for boards and things like that. And just being surrounded by like a supportive group of mentors who um, are pushing you and allowing you to recognize that like, hey, you do actually know a lot. So I think my biggest takeaway so far is just my overall confidence level. I feel like has increased tremendously just being, you know, surrounded by experts who are, you know, trying to make you better. So I think that's been cool for me as well. Um, any, so what would you say to, would you say to someone who's considering residency training? Um, like, is that something that you think is necessary or do you think that people can still be successful without residency training? What's kind of your take on it after being in the program for, you know, a couple months now? Yeah, I think, I think definitely it, it helps in the sense that if you're someone who, um, needs to be pushed and needs deadlines and needs someone to, you know, kind of watch over you a little bit, I think it'll definitely help just because in residency, it's, you're still kind of in school. There's courses you have to take. There's these like live patient exams you have to do. There's mentorship blogs you have to fill, at least for mine. So it's like you, you're, you're pushed to keep getting better. Um, But I also think in residency, you can also be complacent too. So it just really depends on how much effort you put into it. um, Because I can easily see how someone could put they could be in residency but still put in minimal effort and so at that point how much are you how much better are you really getting whereas someone who doesn't do residency if they're really self-motivated I think they'll they'll still definitely be able to be a really good clinician but they just may not have enough may not have as much mentorship from other clinicians I think it'll also depend on the clinic too but I think anything is what you kind of make out of it if you're really motivated and you really want to get better there are definitely still ways so yeah I don't think it's nest I don't think it's completely like required for you to be to be a really good clinician but it definitely helps yeah I would definitely agree with that just as we start to get like more and more information available online and things like that there are a lot of options and you know, residency training is I think fantastic especially from a mentorship standpoint um but just knowing that you know you still can be great without without that additional Mm -hmm. training so make sure it makes sense for you I would say is the biggest takeaway and then just asking lots of questions too yeah um so the next thing I want to talk about this is probably the thing I'm most excited about is hearing about how you got so interested in the raving scene yeah so I first go ahead uh, okay I first started raving I think in 2017 I think my first festival was Coachella um and I know, like one of the biggest ones. Um, a funny story, though, actually. Um, it's like a sidetrack a little bit, but first festival, Coachella, super fun, but like super amazing first day. And then we get back to our car at like 2, 3 a.m., whenever it ends, and someone broke into our car. So oh, we no. got all our stuff stolen. Like I was stupid enough to be like, I'm going to study during this trip. So I brought my laptop and all my notes, and I just lost everything. And then so my friends and I had to basically like rotate each other's clothes and go to walmart at like 5 a.m to get toiletries so that was god but clearly that didn't impact me enough because i'm still going to festivals all the time so (laughs) that just says a lot about how great festivals are but that's what i was was gonna ask because i feel like if you had an experience like that that would really deter you from (laughs) going back um 
what did you feel? What were you experiencing? What did you love so much about it? Yeah, so I think initially I just went because a lot of my friends were raving. So that's just kind of what got me into it. But I think just through all the events I've been through, it's just, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but it's just a different vibe and a different energy at these festivals. Cause it's, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy with concerts too. It's like all these strangers who come from different parts of the world, different, you know, walks of life, and they all gather together for this one like DJ or performer because you just have this common interest of liking their music. And we all know music unites people and music, you know, that it makes people feel certain ways and, I think for me, that's just electronic music. It just, it's just something about the beats. I don't know. It just, it just... Yeah, I can, I can very much relate. I think I didn't really start going to concerts until maybe my sophomore year of college. But since then, I think I've been to like 60 or 70 different shows. And after I went to, I think my first true not even really electronic. So my first show I went to was Odessa. Um, so that's Ooh. like electronic but a little bit more indie and after that like I don't know what I don't know what happened but I was just like addicted I was hooked the light show was the light show was incredible I felt like I experienced such a wide range of emotions during the show and I'm not gonna lie by the end of it I think uh maybe two-thirds through the through the concert there were tears going down my face of joy because I was so incredibly happy um went with some of my friends and I just felt like kind of like you said it everyone was brought together. It was an experience where everyone has this common interest and you're just getting away for a little bit to enjoy the music. Um, so since then I've been to a couple different festivals. Uh, I think, let's see, I haven't necessarily raved, so to speak. Mm. The longest show I've been to was a, like, well, I guess a 12 hour festival in Spain. Um, what is it called? It's called don't let daddy know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was like headline headlined by uh, Tiesto and Don Diablo. Oh, okay. And I think I lost my phone about eight hours in. And, <laughs> I, and at that point, all my friends had left. They're like, we've seen it. We're done. Um, and I was just still going. And I thought that as soon as the show ended, everyone was going to clear out. My phone was just going to be sitting on the ground. But needless to say, that was not the case. <laughs> See, you you had a bad experience with that. Your stuff got stolen. You're still raving. You're yep. still going to concerts. Exactly. So then talk to me a little bit about how things have changed since that first rave. Like, it sounds like you're going a lot more frequently now. Um, I think you you said you picked up shuffling too. Is that right? Yeah. So I, there, I think for everyone in the, when you're into EDM, you have this transition and journey of the different genres of music you like. And for everyone, it can be different. But for me, it just went from super big room artists, like, Hardwell, Zed, you know, all those people going to like more the feelsy music like Elenium and then eventually just going, at least for me, it just gets darker and darker. So it just goes to like Chom. I like, I really like Chommy for a while. So it's a lot of like future house, bass house. And then mm-hmm. now it's like tech house. So I like uh, John Summit, Dom Dalla, all those people. And yep. then now it's just like straight techno. Um, so it's just like, very fast BPM, like all the time, just dark rooms. But I picked up shuffling because because of the whole transition into like tech house and bass house. And I think I just 
I got tired of just fist bumping and I was like, I, I don't really know how to, how else to express my love for this kind of music other than dancing to it. So yeah, so for that, it was so cool. Like people who shuffle are so cool. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pick this up. <laughs> so for those who don't know what shuffling is, like what is shuffling? Um, It's like, I... I could be wrong on this, but I think a lot of the moves does originate from like house dancing. Mm-hmm. Like the um yeah, I think it's a type of like street dancing, like house style, but house style of dancing focuses a lot on just like footwork. So it's not a lot of upper body movements, but it the upper body movements complement the the footwork. So it's a lot of like running man and like T-step, that kind of stuff is like shuffling. And there's different genres of shuffling too. Like there's Melbourne shuffle, mm-hmm. there's like cutting shapes. Um yeah. So Yeah, cuz I, I was going to say probably the one that people would be most familiar with or be able to visualize might be the running man. Yeah. Yeah, so like um what is that uh what is that group part is it party rock anthem? Like Yeah. Yeah, like every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> like that's <laughs> shuffling. <laughs> yeah, so it's I don't know. I I'm not gonna lie. I tried to learn how to shuffle. I think it was it has to be probably a couple weeks ago now. Really? I was like, I'm just, yeah, I'm like I'm gonna look up some tutorials, see if I can get the feet moving, and uh, and I told myself that I was gonna practice just the Running Man every single day for like a month and see how good I could get. I think I lasted maybe 10 or 15 days and then bailed. It's tough. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> but it's so how long did it take you to learn just like the basics would you say? Um so I think the the summer between undergrad and then grad school starting, I had like 3 4 months off and then so that was when I just went in on it. So the that the whole 2 3 months that I was on break, I just shuffled every single day. And then I think that were, that's what really helped. And then during the mm-hmm. pandemic, um, school was completely online. So then I went back home. And then so every day I was just practicing. And then I think for a while, I was actually pretty good. Like my feet were moving fast. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we're back to school and then residency and everything. So got busy again. So I haven't really been practicing, practicing that frequently. So if you see me ever post shuffling videos, they're from two <laughs> years ago. <laughs> exposing exposing yourself (laughs) yes just in case people see me on the street they're like oh my god you shuffle show me some moves I'm like I can't right now so is it one of those things where you do have to practice pretty consistently yeah outside of raves like how much would you practice um yeah I'm gonna be honest I have not practiced consistently for a while I would say I practiced maybe once a month and that's not that's an, not enough for me to like really get back into the rhythm of it. Like I'm pretty rusty right now, but I think if I were to practice, like even if it's like 30 minutes every twice a week, I feel like I'll be mm-hmm. picking it up again pretty quickly. And then, so I feel like I'm seeing you at a lot of different, uh, a lot of different raves and things like that now on Instagram stories. So are you still shuffling at the raves, even though you haven't practiced or you're back to the fist bumping? Um, Mostly fist bumping. If I have a couple fancy cocktails in me, then maybe a little bit more shuffling. You know, you need a little bit bit of that liquid courage. And then the feet start moving. Yep, exactly. Um, So, I mean, that's awesome. It sounds like this is something you're very, very passionate about. Um, 
and now you're kind of transitioning to trying to help other people who are, you know, experiencing any issues while they're at music festivals health wise, um, or people who are just looking to get up their endurance or recover better from music festivals. So have you experienced personal injuries at music festivals or over shuffling or like, how did you decide this was something worth pursuing? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a couple components to that question. So personally I have, I have had minor injuries here and there from shuffling Um, like right before, I mean, the, when I picked up shuffling to begin with, I was, this was pre PT school. So I had no idea about, you know, like progressive overload, no idea. Like you have to slowly ramp up to things. So I just dove straight into it. So I just remember the, um, and I was young, so that probably helped a lot. But definitely when the first couple of days when I started shuffling, the next day I woke up, I literally could not move. Like I was just so sore. I was in so much pain. I probably had minor Achilles tendonitis now thinking about it. But it just luckily it went away on its own. But back then I had no idea what that was. So I assume that there's a lot of people out there who, you know, probably experience the same problem. Um, and then the other component is like we're as we're also getting older I think a lot of my I see a lot of my friends around me who used to rave who kind of stopped going and then they kind of just say oh you know we're getting old we don't have enough stamina which I understand you know as we get old our bodies do they're not as conditioned they're not as healthy and resilient as before that's just a natural process of aging but considering that most of the population um, already under exercise like they don't they're we're getting more and more sedentary and people don't realize that raving can raving is actually such a demanding sport <laughs> sport <laughs> and like exercise like for example I was looking back the other day and I was tracking my steps and I think uh generally day-to-day I walk anywhere from 4,000 to 5,000 steps and that's and we have like pretty physically active jobs and we run around the mm-hmm. clinic all day and then I go to a festival and then I'm at like 30,000 steps, 35,000 steps. And that's seven, eight more times than what I usually do. And I'm active. And after those festivals, my legs still get sore. My back also still gets sore. So now think about all the other people who work desk jobs or they're mostly sedentary and they don't really exercise that much. And then they go to these three day events, like how, how are their bodies going to feel? So I think there's um, a gap in this. There's a knowledge gap in this scene. And I think it's really important to address because like I said, like we all love festivals. It brings all these emotions to us. And I want to, I want people to be able to experience that for a long time. And this is a lot of times like raving is the only outlet for some people know whether it's physically mentally it's such a big part of their mental health or the part of their lives that you know like I I don't want that to be taken away from them because their body can't handle it so I want to be able to help these people continue to do what they do yeah I really like how you talk about the knowledge gap because it's a situation where if these individuals just had a little bit more information or guidance about how to you know prepare for these events um and plan for the amount of strain and load that's going to be on their body then they'd be in a much better position and wouldn't have to worry as much about everything if they feel the next day and i kind of like how you talk about you know training for these raves like it's training for a sport because 
you know, if you don't do any sort of training for a long period of time or sitting on a couch and, and you go out and play in a pickup league for soccer or basketball, you're going to mm-hmm. be exhausted. There's a higher chance of injury and you're not going to feel great the next day, as opposed to if you're, you know, getting regular, you know, sports specific training each week, and even just working out a couple times a week can make a huge difference so that you're in a better spot for those pickup games. So I think approaching raving in a similar manner, no one's doing that right now, at least not that I've seen. Um, so, I, so I think that, you know, you have a ton of knowledge being someone who's both in the raving scene, as well as has extensive education about physical therapy, you know, fitness principles, you've got your CSCS, you're the perfect person to kind of close this gap. So I think you should have a lot of confidence moving into this niche. Thanks. Yeah. And the, the other thing I also want to add is like for shuffling too, right? I think it's like any other sport and any sort of dancing. A lot of the times the these athletes or these dancers, that's the only thing they prep for. It's like these moves, like how to perfect their technique, how to make their moves look good. Um, and same as um, any any other sport too. Like a lot of times soccer players are just focused on drills, focus on footwork. But that there's an, an, another big component to that. And it's like the strength training. It's like, yeah, like a lot of, there's a lot of shufflers who have ankle problems, they get an ankle sprain or they have knee problems, they just rest and then their knee doesn't hurt anymore and they just go straight back to it. But, right, and that's, that's not, that's, that's, that's not conducive to like injury prevention or anything. Like a lot of times people don't realize that strength training is like such a complement to whatever they're doing. And that's also something that, you know, I want to help them realize um, and then lastly, also, just because we're talking about, you know, PT and healthcare, but just the healthcare industry in general, I think focuses on fixing what's already broken or fixing what's already injured, but there's just not enough preventative care. And we know that prevention is the best way to, to address injury is that you don't, you, you don't want to get injured in the first place. So that's also something I think assess clinicians are also on a mission to help the world realize. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that the idea of wanting to train within your sport carries over, you know, to pretty much everything. Kind of like you said, it carries over with ravers. Something I've experienced working with cyclists is people just want to ride their bike all day and don't want to do any additional strength training. It's just like, there's so many benefits that if there's just a better way to, like you said, fill in that knowledge gap or make people aware, then I think what we're going to start to see is a lot less injuries um, and less people seeking care afterwards um, because they're able to be healthy beforehand and just excel in their sport. So train that way rather than um, this approach where we have to go back and fix all these injuries first. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess what would you say are some of the most common issues or injuries that you're seeing so far within this niche because what i what i think about immediately is just the day after i go to a concert or have been at a festival or anything like that just standing for so long it's always my knees and it's always my back those are the two issues i have yep those are the two most common issues that i hear it's you know back back pain and, and knee pain and sometimes like foot but mostly back and knee and that goes for shufflers too shufflers i hear mostly back sorry, not, uh, knees and foot and ankle. And then DJs is mostly like neck and like upper back and sometimes shoulder. Um, yeah. Okay. So then what's, what's your approach in addressing these injuries when you have someone who comes to you? What, how do you, 
um, how do you assess where they're at currently? And then how do you kind of game plan for where they're moving forward? What sorts of things are you thinking about? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you want to understand where they're at, like how much they know about what's going on, how much education and background they have behind, you know, the anatomy and injury prevention and all that stuff. And think that's, that's kind of the, you, you build off of that. You want to meet them where they're at, understand where they're coming from, what they need help with, and then go from there. So a lot of what I do is not only the physical aspect of getting them stronger, but what I really, really um, focus on is the education part, like really empowering my clients and my patients to take control of their own health. Um, I'm not the type in the clinic to, I try to make my patients and clients come up with their own answers. I try not to just talk all the time because as much as we like working with our clients, we don't, we, we don't want them to be with us forever, right? We want mm-hmm. them to be able to problem solve on their own. So I always try to make sure that whenever they finish working with me, they have a better understanding of what's going on so that in the future, if anything does occur, they have the knowledge to help themselves. Yeah. And I think especially having your patients take an active role throughout the recovery process, I think is huge, um, especially in preventing future health issues as well, because if they know how to prepare again, less issues down the chain. So that's, that's a lot of great information. I feel like you made this pretty clear already, but I'd just like you to sum up what is your mission with this entire project and business that you're launching? Yeah. So uh, my mission is that I want to help people continue to live the eat, sleep, rave, repeat motto well into their older ages by showing them how to take care of their bodies. So whether that's strength training, whether that's endurance training, whether it's rehab, whether it's education, whatever it is, I just want to make sure that they have the knowledge and they have a good set of tools in their toolbox to be able to get them there. Um, And then I didn't touch on this earlier in our conversation, but the other thing that I'm starting to realize, and I I am making it part of my mission is that I think a lot of the times raving and the partying culture in general is just frowned upon by people of how like the general uh, um, population, they just think that like ravers and like party goers, they're just degenerates and, you know, they have no outlook on life and they're just like losers basically from, I think at least like the general population is how they view us. But you see like more and more like doctors and like professors, whatever it is, healthcare workers, like people who have these smart and like post-secondary, like high degrees and they still get into the rave scene. I think as someone who is in the healthcare industry, like I've definitely experienced, you know, people like frowning upon like my hobbies, but why does it matter what I do outside of my work? No, I don't think I don't think it should matter what we decide to do to uh, de-stress and to decompress. It's it's irrelevant to how well we can do our jobs. And so um, I've been getting a lot of that in like my DMs too, like people saying that like I love what you're doing because it's like I just love seeing healthcare workers being represented in this field because yeah, like why why should it matter? You know, so that's kind of I made. I made that a part of my mission too, is just to increase the representation of healthcare workers in this scene. Because again, like we should be able to have fun and still be really good clinicians and that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, I like that a lot. I feel like anytime I've brought up that I go to festivals or that I've been to raves, 
uh, it's typically, especially in the workplace, I'll typically get a response. It's just like shock. And it's like, why are you surprised? It's just, it's something I enjoy doing. Um, It it shouldn't be like that taboo. Yeah. So I think, I think everything you're doing is fantastic. And like I said, you've got a very strong mission. The next part of the show, last part of the show is I ask all my guests the same five questions. Joyce, are you up for it? Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. Question number one, what is your biggest key to a successful day? The biggest key to a successful day for me is working out in the morning. I think if I'm, because um, I have a pretty busy schedule, so just being able to wake up early enough to get a workout in before my day starts is just such a big accomplishment. I think whenever on days I'm actually able to get up and go to the gym, I naturally just have a better day because my energy is better. uh, My mood is better. I think that kind of starts from getting a good night's sleep and getting a good night's sleep starts from having the discipline to put my phone away and not scroll on TikTok for 30 minutes before I go to bed. So I would say it's kind of backwards, but those three things makes a successful day. Successful day. Okay. So it sounds like you need to ditch TikTok and the rest is going to fall in line. Basically. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, question number two, what do you wish someone would have told you five years ago that might impact either the way you practice or what you're doing today? So um, I think... If someone were to tell me to get my ass off the couch and stop watching Netflix, that's the first thing. Go invest early, whatever it is, but look into investing early because time is on your side. Um, And then I think the biggest thing is that if there's anything you want to do, stop overthinking it and just do it because nobody really cares what you do uh, unless it's something super outlandish because people really most of the times just think about themselves. So if you want to do something, just do it. Nobody really cares. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think a lot of times we think everyone's looking at us or everyone's focused on every move and it's just not the case. So kind of move in your own lane, do what you want and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I like that. Um, the next question, what is a book or product that has positively impacted your life over the last three months? Yeah, so this one is, I think, a, a little silly, but it really worked for me. Um, I'm trying to get in a better habit of reading books, so I don't really have a good book recommendation right now. I'm trying to make it a part of my habit, but it hasn't been super successful so far. But um, going back to the point that I, you know, I'm on my phone way too much, I think what's really helped me be productive these past three months is like a, a lockbox, like a phone lockbox. <laughs> so whatever I need to do work, just put my phone in the lockbox, set a timer so that you physically cannot use your phone. I think that really helped. How long do you usually set your timer for? Um, Anywhere from an hour to 90 minutes. Um, And usually, yeah, by the last 10 minutes, I'm like itching to take my phone. <laughs> so I know this is such a bad habit. Moving closer and closer and closer. I've used the time box as well. And uh, so it's in the other room and I can always hear like when it unlocks and I immediately yeah. get up and grab it. Yeah. So can be, it can definitely be helpful to try and eliminate those distractions. Uh, next question. What is a quote you live by or one that's drastically impacted your life? Um, yeah. So I was trying to think of a good one because I don't think I've, I don't think I live by any quote religiously, but just at least 
for the past couple of months as I'm trying to start my own business and launch this whole thing. Um, what really helped was, and this is a corny one too, um, like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Just because before deciding to do this, I've had a lot of hesitation of like, is, are, is this going to work? Do people really need this? Like, you know, like, am I just going to be launching something that people like don't care about? But again, like you're never going to know if it's a product that people need unless you try. And once as soon as I launched it, I've had just so much support from people that every day it reinforces my mission that like this is actually something people need. All right. I like it. Last question and signature question of the show. Joyce, what is your favorite snack? Okay. My favorite snack is chicken feet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, what? <laughs> chicken feet chicken feet all right tell me a little bit more about that how do you, um, how do you eat them are they yeah you know see I'm, I'm i'm from china i'm chinese it's in my blood but um there's a supermarket here i don't know if it's in texas at all but it's called 99 ranch um it's like an asian supermarket and i always get these marinated chicken feet from from uh, from the supermarket it, it comes in packs of two and then you it's like air air tight sealed um but yeah you just they have they have joints too so they like literally look like this and then you just you just eat at each joint and then you spit out the cartilage and the bone but you just eat the skin basically but it has a lot of collagen so it's actually really good for you interesting what would you compare it to like what does it taste like or is it completely (laughs) its own thing um the texture tastes like pork feet okay (laughs) I know it's like I don't I don't know if I can compare it to any other like commonly eaten dish I can only compare it to other Chinese dishes (laughs) well I know I know what I'm doing this afternoon (laughs) 99 ranch all right Joyce thanks so much for coming on it was a lot of fun learning more about what you're doing if people want to work with you if they want to follow you um where can they find you they can find me uh, on Instagram at the physio raver. Perfect. Anything else you'd like to plug today? Uh, no, that's it. Just, you know, follow my, follow my business account. If you want to learn more about how to keep your body healthy while raving. All right. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week.